talk about the, the SoCal VMA uh, and your other businesses in light of the changes from COVID, you know, and, and see if we can, you know, dig out some, some perspectives and insights that might, you know, might help those that are tuning in with us here today. Now, obviously veterinary practices uh, have been forced to adopt all types of changes related to COVID-19. And we'll talk about the impacts of some of those here, but organizations that serve the, the veterinary profession have also had to adapt. So what types of things has the SoCal VMA adopted to serve the veterinary community throughout COVID? I looked at the SCVMA and we had to recalibrate the way we did things. We had a lot of live continuing education programs scheduled. We have all sorts of face-to-face -face type opportunities that were being um, shut down. And, and so we couldn't do them anymore. So I said, what would I want as a veterinarian? Because my first role, my first life and my degree, one of my, my degrees is in veterinary medicine. So I looked at my colleagues and said, what can I do for my colleagues as if I were on the receiving end? So I looked at get as much information into their hands on dealing with COVID for, for staff safety, financial information, all of the moving parts, and I flooded email boxes and our community listserv with information that our membership could use to the point that people said, slow it down. I can't keep up with everything you're saying. But you know what? I'd rather give them a fire hose so they get some water than, than give them a garden hose and they may miss a drink. So we gave them a lot of information. And then we retooled all of our live CE to virtual CE. And we, we got plenty of support from our sponsors to do one hour, one and a half hour uh, lunch meetings, one and a half hour dinner meetings. And so in, instead of doing a six hour Sunday live face-to-face -face event, mano a mano, we went to flat screen LCD projections and uh, Zoom meetings and everything else. And so we, we, we have done every week since COVID hit a virtual clinical CE program and or a virtual management program because the membership were worried about losing the CE credits. So we got them continuing education credits. We got them information about banking, we got them information about tax responsibilities, how to apply to PPP loans. And I said, you know what? I, this is what I would want to know if I were in practice. And so I'm going to give it to my membership. And then the two other things we instigated. We instigated a weekly town hall meeting which is basically a Zoom meeting open to anybody in the membership who wants to log in. It's uh, usually Thursdays, Wednesdays or Thursdays at lunch. And we uh, invite people to come in and we usually have discussion points and we focused on different things. Today, we're gonna have some, uh, some, some of our leadership talk about what's going on in the state and what's going on locally. And so we, we instituted the town halls every week. And then we also started with the daily update and now it's a twice a week update of the things that are going on in the profession, the things that are going on locally. And I add a paragraph or two or three about, you know, how I see things and where we're headed. So I just, I focused on escalating communication to the highest level. So people felt that they weren't being left behind. Yeah, that's, I mean, that really is the fire hose. In fact, I, I love, could you repeat that, that line one, one time? I, I love that. I want to, I want to adopt that. You said, drink, get a drink from the fire hose. 
I, I wanted to have them drink from a fire hose so they at least got a little bit of water instead of giving them the garden hose where they may not get anything to drink. Yeah, I love that. I'm going to repeat that. It, you know, along with all of the adjustments to service delivery um, that COVID has 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 created, um, you know, conferences aren't aren't just the the only thing that's been dramatically affected by COVID. There's been a huge spike in client business, right? going on right now um, due to pet adoptions, people spending more time at home with their pets, veterinary practices have had to respond to social distancing and public health guidelines while remaining open. That's radically changed the way they deliver services. You know, can you tell us some, some of the ways AHA has been supporting, you know, its members throughout COVID in, in these ways, helping people figure it out. I mean, for a profession that's not used to change, that doesn't really like change, this, is, this oh has been gosh. a heck of a year. I mean, March was crazy. Late March, early April was nuts for, for everybody. And, and our role within AHA, we were working so hard to A, make sure veterinary care remained essential. So we put out position statements and we're working with our, our partners like the AVMA to make sure that uh, the decision makers in the government understood that veterinary medicine was essential. And so check, we got that, right? Yeah. Um, but then we did have to really uh, ramp up all of our education around infection control. And AHA actually created in 2018, we published infection control prevention and biosecurity guidelines. It's a very big mouthful for how to keep uh, your staff and your uh, patients uh, safe, safer from diseases that people can get and give to animals or what animals can give to people and animals can give to other animals. So there's a lot of discussion in there about um, how to put on PPE appropriately. And I've got to say, there were probably a fair number of practices that didn't know what PPE, what that even stood for. We knew what, you know, mask and gloves were, but the idea that there was this overarching term um, was something that I think a lot of people had to learn about. So AHA spent a huge amount of resources, um, staff from a staff perspective in diving into um, education and keeping people up to date on what was happening. I remember when the, the tiger tested positive, um, oh, yeah. it was on a Sunday and I'm like, and this was the first, like one of the first animals that did. I'm like, oh my gosh, like what's this going to do with, you know, pet cats. So um, we were constantly watching uh, the FDA, the CDC and um, putting out as much information as possible. So the other thing we did, um, which we've never done before is we have, uh, we now have accreditation evaluations, which normally would require a person from AHA to go into someone's practice, we um, aren't sending people in in person anymore. We're doing them virtually. And so with the, the use of webcams and smartphones, they are getting evaluations done, which is phenomenal. I mean, we, so we had to just completely change how we we're going to do our accreditations. We didn't want to push them off because we knew that, it, you know, next year was going to be nuts. And so we really wanted to try to get as many accreditations in if hospitals wanted to. And I was surprised by the number of hospitals that even in a pandemic were like, yeah, let's do this. You know, we postponed some of them, but there were a bunch that were like, yeah, let's do this. We know we're going to pass. We do a great job every day. Let's just do this. And then the other thing we did is our accreditation, um, every, accredit, every July is when our memberships uh, have to be renewed. And we offered payment plans for the first time. And a lot of practices have taken us up on the payment plans especially since initially we didn't know what the economic uh, impacts were going to be. And none of us would have guessed 
that um, everyone and their brother would have gone out to um, adopt COVID rescues. So that, and that is, that has been good for the animals and it's good for the profession. So um, it's a a wonderful, um, a wonderful positive consequence. Well, I mean, something that I, I'm, I just picked up on that I I was wholly unaware of was that COVID or or, sorry, AHA played uh, uh, such a pivotal role in the very beginning, early stages in putting out messaging to legislators that framed veterinary care as an essential service where potentially it may not have been included in that cl- sort of exactly. classification. That's what we didn't know is, um, you know, in from a public health perspective, large animal medicine has a very strong tie to uh, public health because of meat production, right? right? And even though people don't necessarily remember that there's large animal veterinarians there because they don't see them all the time, they're an incredibly important resource to our food supply. So we figured that that would be okay but what we, and, and that would keep moving from a food supply safety standpoint, but we weren't sure what was gonna happen with small animal medicine. Um, is that essential or not? And, uh, and fortunately, um, our, our legislatures did agree that it was. And so um, wow. it, it, we stayed the way we are. And, oh and we have, you know, and, and AHA worked on it, but we also, we had tons of help from other organizations. So this sure. was a true overall veterinary community coming together to do good for, for our whole profession. I'm very proud of everyone for that. I mean, you saved so many, so many thousands or, you know, hundreds of thousands of, of jobs from veterinarians and practices and their yes. whole staff, but to the vendors in the industry and, and just everybody. Yeah. Um, it's been, it's been incredible that we've been, you know, we've been able to look around and as much as we feel very heartfelt for our, our friends and neighbors and families that are in those industries that have been decimated, you know, that we've been so thankful and blessed to have been in an industry that, that you know, was well positioned to survive this. And it sounds like that was very much, you know, thanks to the work that you're doing. So um, I I didn't see any, not a peep about that, um, the role you played in that uh, prior to this conversation. That's amazing. I'm really, really in awe. Yeah, it's the whole, it's the whole humble, you know, we forget to brag on ourselves. We really do. But, and it was such a blur. So much was such a blur that we were, um, we were just doing the best we could. And it, it was great that it worked out the way it did. Really, really, absolutely incredible. Um, so it's my understanding in light of the pandemic and, and other considerations, um, the decision has been made to move the annual conference from early in the year to September. Uh, so what were other considerations went into that change and, and is that permanent? Sure. So uh, this, so everything was going on in the world and we were watching very closely what was happening with other similar organizations and moving to virtual. We were very, very fortunate this year that we were able to have a very successful February conference. We had almost 16,000 people in attendance. It was our highest attendance ever. It was a very, very successful conference. So timing wise, we got very fortunate. But as we started planning and we plan almost immediately, that stops and then we start planning for the next year, we started watching what was happening. And really when that second wave started happening uh, with the pandemic in different states, that's when we took a step back and we're like, you know what, we need to maybe consider other options. And so we did a lot of homework. We, we have information coming from a variety of different sources locally, from different um, travel sources. We were really trying to take a look at what, there, what people were anticipating the confidence level would be in quarter one of 2021. Would people be willing to travel? What was happening uh, in the different industries where there's still a lot of travel bans for employees and employers and whatnot? 
And so as we took all of that information, we also sent out a, a pretty extensive survey to, um, I, I apologize, I can't remember the exact number of, of people that went to, but we ended up getting about a thousand surveys back. And we asked what time of year would you be interested in having a, a conference in 2021? And it seemed overwhelmingly that people were interested in the later half of the year, at least in terms of being confident that they would do, you know, some type of continuing education in person. So uh, we were very, very fortunate. We reached out to our partner, Mandalay Bay. That's where we host our event every year. And we said, do you have any other dates out there that we could switch for 2021 later in the year? And they gave us a few options. And then they gave us the week of Labor Day. And so that was just incredibly exciting for us. So what had happened is that we decided we're gonna change our dates for our annual conference from February to September 14th through the 16th, 2021. It immediately follows Labor Day weekend. Uh, from a planning perspective, we're going a little crazy here because I, I grew up in Vegas. I've been here since I was five. And so when I think of what are the great months to, to be in Vegas, winter's always really great. March is great. And September and October are awesome here too. Yeah. You have warm weather during the day. You have 70s and 80s at night. So we're thinking, what can we do outside? What about the pool area, which is amazing at Mandalay Bay? There's all these other options that we're going to be able to take advantage of with the September conference. So we're super excited about that. Uh, we decided to change it just for 2021. Our next conference in 2022 actually is in March. So uh, we're, we're going to have some really great conferences in some great years. Uh, but this was a, a response to what was going on with the pandemic and making this change. And, and we're going to evaluate and see how people like it in September. I mean, who knows? But for now, this, this is where we're going and we're super excited about it. I tell you what, you know, uh, we were at the at the conference um, back this last uh, year uh, in 2020 and walking past the, the, the beach area at the Mandalay Bay and it's all shut down. That was the one thing I'm like, oh, I would just love to spend some hours out there if that was open up. So that'd be really cool to have that, you know, and a place to go out and, and, and have a little meeting and have a chat, you know, poolside. Um, I like that. That'd be very cool. And you, and you mentioned, you know, in this world of COVID and, you know, there's of course all businesses, schools, facilities, where anybody's showing up, you know, physically, um, have had to adopt a number of safety measures. I can see, Andrew, behind you in that theater, you've got white pieces of paper on like, looks like every other seat, likely to, you know, I've seen a lot of that social distancing in facilities. So what are some of the other safety measures that Viticus Group has put into place, um, both in for your own facility, as well as, you know, in consideration for future, you know, events, you know, what, what, what are you guys doing to respond to all of that? Sure. So I will tell you that our number one priority is the safety of our, our team and also the clients that we serve. And so everywhere in the organization, we're following the CDC and the Nevada guidelines. Everyone at all times wears a mask, social distancing. You can see some of the ways that we've been able to manage that. And this goes throughout the whole organization. If you go into our lobby, we've eliminated uh, much of the seating. So there's proper distancing uh, in our areas where there's eating and in other events, everything is socially distanced. From the time you get on either one of our shuttles or you walk in the door, we take temperatures, we have hand sanitizers everywhere. We even have team members that as labs are going on, 
all they're doing is going around and they're cleaning high touch areas. Because I, I truly believe that it's not just about having all of these things in place, but always being very consistent. So when people come into our facilities, they see that we're, we're following the rules, that everyone is, is taking this very seriously. And so they can feel very comfortable and let other people know that when they come to the Viticus group, we're gonna make sure that we keep people safe. That's, yeah, that's outstanding and, and just so important. I mean, it's, it's what we have to do, right, moving forward. Um, is that really impacting, do you see the, the format and the experience in, you know, in ways that people have to be, you know, prepared for, not just show up and we've got it all handled, but that they, you know, what do they need to expect in terms of, of what they're bringing for themselves to, you know, you have masks on site or anything like that, but they need to be prepared in other ways, things they should know? Sure. So one thing that we've tried to do is let people know ahead of time, especially with our self-generated courses, what the expectations and the Nevada state rules are. You can expect that you will have to social distance and wear a mask and wear a mask properly. So one thing that was important to us is that we let people know that up front so that our team doesn't get in a strange situation when they see people not following the rules. So we try to set the expectations up front. Uh, and so far that that's been very helpful from a business perspective. We've definitely seen a decline as can be imagined, or I should say not as many people uh, from an occupancy in our different courses. Uh, but what's been really great is every single month since June, when we started doing courses again, we're seeing more and more people come. And so I think the confidence level is definitely improving. And it's even more important that we don't let down the guard. We continue to be very uh, strict about our guidelines and, and very uh, kind of in your face about, you know, what what our safety guidelines are so people feel comfortable. Sense. Yeah. Um, you know, when it comes to a massive event like BMX, mm-hmm. I know there's so much that goes into planning and executing an event like that, like in a normal year, right? Yes, in there's, a normal year, yeah. <laughs> anything but a normal year. Um, so it's my understanding VMX is going to be the first big hybrid event in 2021. People attending live on site as well as virtually, as you said. Um, mm-hmm. Can you tell us what about the event do you expect to be the same for those of us who have you know, loved attending in the past and versus what's going to be different and new? Yeah, I mean, I think the really exciting thing is we made some very um, pointed choices this year. We knew VMX was going to look different we're probably not going to have the same number of attendees. It'd be great if we did, but we're probably not going to going to have all those things. So we made some very deliberate and, and thought out choices. And one of the things was we know we have some smaller, some subject matter that attracts a smaller audience, right? It's very niche. It's very interesting, but you know, maybe we don't have 700 people in that room. We tried to preserve um, some of that in the live event. So yes, we're focusing on our, our biggest, you know, the, the fo- stuff, our, our bread and butter, the stuff folks come in for, surgery, medicine. Um, but we decided to make a very concerted effort to keep things like um, our exotics education, um, education for our mixed animal practitioners and our farm animal practitioners include some subject matter from One Health, include some subject matter from um, rehab and some holistics education and stuff that maybe you don't come, again, you maybe you're not going to come and sit through 20 hours of it, but maybe you want to sit through an hour of zoo medicine just to hear what your colleagues are doing, try something different. And it still counts as CE for you. Like, for example, we've had, um, we've had penguin medicine courses. 
And maybe you just want something different. Maybe you just want to get out of your norm, hear about some things that you haven't heard of since school and attend something like that. So we decided to make an effort to include that this year, even though things are going to be a bit different. Um, we're still going to have um, the chance to get some more immersive education in a smaller group. So things like our coffee with an expert sessions or meet the professor luncheons are still going to happen. They're going to be in much larger rooms than we're used to. We used to kind of make it feel intimate and sit everyone around the table and encourage conversation. And we're still going to do that, but in a much larger setting. So still smaller groups than you would normally expect, 30 to 40 folks, but now seated six feet apart. 